Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fame edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined as always by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Paul, good to talk to you. And uh, it was it was a good day for the Hall of Fame. I I think just from looking at the election and the results, the voting from the the Baseball Writers Association of America, I think they got it right. Four guys go in on the the BBWAA ballot, joining Harold Baines and Lee Smith, who were uh, selected earlier uh, at, at the winter meetings by the Modern Day Committee. Mike Messina, Roy Halladay, Edgar Martinez, and uh, shoe in the first unanimous vote getter, Mariano Rivera. They they got it right. Yeah, definitely. I think it was a good class. You know, um, Messina was you know a little maybe a borderline guy, but uh, if you go back, he won 270 games. I think that surprised some people, and uh, I know wins have been devalued, but uh, you know, considering in the ball where the ballparks he pitched in. In the AL East, when you know it was still a, it was a very good division, I think you got to give him uh, you know his props. You know, Roy Halladay, two-time Cy Young winner, two two shut uh, two perfect. I mean, not two two no hitters. Uh, Edgar Martinez, kind of the uh, the kind of the measuring stick of all DHs, and of course uh, Mariano Rivera. I mean. Uh, Six hundred fifty-two <laughs> saves, forty-two saves in the postseason. I mean, if you know, it's it is weird that you 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 know you go back through baseball history, Joe, and you know Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb and Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio, all those guys, you know, the the heroes of this game, they don't come close to getting a hundred percent of the vote. And uh, a closer, you know, a closer that there's only like eight closers in the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. guys that have been shut out and uh, kind of you know. Everybody kind of gives him the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the weird eye, the, you know, the, the sideways glance when they try to get into the Hall of Fame because they only pitch one or two innings, at least the modern-day closers. And he's, he's the guy that, that, that does the clean sweep. So, you know, you never know. Well, five rings and playing for the Yankees definitely helps. And uh, I, I think the question with Rivera wasn't, was he going to be in? Was he going to be a first ballot guy? It was the question was, was he going to get the 100% of the vote? Would there be that one Boston or Baltimore writer out there, you know, some old guy who harbors some sort of just, uh, you know, whatever and, and just holds on to it and doesn't vote in the, in, on the first ballot? Uh, I, I think the, uh, the, the open ballots and the, the open, uh, just the, 
the ability for writers to to put their their votes out there and let everybody know. I think that sort of played into him getting a hundred percent of the vote. That wasn't the case back when right uh, the guys that you're talking about were were elected. So, uh, yeah, all that as far as the voting goes, uh, great and all that. But you know, these guys are the the outcasts like you you wrote in your story they're the the outcasts the outsiders uh you know baseball's forgotten children the the closers and the 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 dhs and now we've got two of each going into the hall of fame this year yeah and that's uh it's it's an interesting uh just to come to look at it you know dh is you know part-time player no d you know they don't play defense uh closers you know one inning kind of stars i mean guys like goose gossage and those guys that are in you know did more than that they were starters and they also, you know, did the uh, old school saves, two innings, three innings. But, you know, not the modern day closers are, uh, you know, pr- pretty much one inning guys. And, and uh, you know, uh, R- Rivera was, you know, w- was kind of that. It's only, but in the off, but in the postseason, he was a two inning, three, two inning closer with Joe right. Torrey with the Yankees. I mean, Joe Torrey didn't mess around when, when in the postseason with, with Rivera. But, uh, uh, who, who were the uh, who were the snubs? Who do you think uh, didn't get in? Uh, I know uh, we were just talking about uh, Fred McGriff, uh, who who m- might have better numbers across the board than Edgar Martinez uh, hitting, and 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 he actually played a, a position uh, and and you know won championships, and uh, here he is on the outside looking in after ten years on the ballot. Yeah, he drops off now, and uh, four hundred ninety three home runs. You know, Edgar only hit just over three hundred home runs. You know, and uh, so it's it's interesting that, you know, you see people, you know, looking more at quality, the quality of the player instead of his counting numbers, just the hardcore stats. But McGriff, you know, definitely, uh, you know, you feel bad for him to, to see him drop off the ballot and not really have a chance. I mean, this guy never – I don't think he ever got close to 50% of the vote. And uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, you know it's, it's, I think there's a school of thought out there that says uh, – you know, since Martinez played his full career, like 18 years in Seattle, he had the kind of a better uh, PR machine behind him. He had a better recognition factor. You know, McGriff, I know he had his good years with Atlanta, but he bounced around a lot. And uh, maybe that hurt him a little, but uh, I don't think it should have. And like we were saying before, Joe, I think, uh, you know, the modern day era committee or one of the offshoots of the Veterans Committee, I think he's a prime candidate to get in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think it, it's got to be what three or four years before that cycle comes around again, where right. the modern modern day era players, uh, guys like Albert Bell and who were, were contemporaries of of Fred McGriff, uh, McGriff will be in. He'll be a, a candidate for that class uh, in three years. He he'll he'll be in the Hall of Fame one way or another. I I don't think you can you can keep him out. Yeah, uh, and it's you know I was thinking, do you think Harold Baines getting in? lowers the standard for DHs? Well, I, I, I mean, you wrote about how uh, there might be, might have been sort of an inside job with Reinsdorf yeah. and La Russa um, being on the committee that, that elected him. As far as – I think you need more DHs. I think you need to expand and, and allow for more of these guys to be in. So it's, it's a good thing whether, whether or not Harold Baines is the guy to, to make that push is, is one, you know, thing you can debate. Yeah. But uh, the fact that the, the committee vote was released uh, a month before, almost a month before uh, the ballots were due, 
definitely had some sort of influence. I mean, you saw Edgar Martinez make a 15% jump in votes once Harold Baines was elected. Right. Basically, the writers were saying, hey, if the committee's going to put in Harold Baines, then, then Edgar Martinez definitely gets in. Because yeah, Edgar think, Martinez, you know, is, is a superior DH. Right. I think that's a good point. And, uh, you know, I don't know how it influenced the vote. That might be something, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, baseball has to look at or the BBWA has to look at. It's, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a timing device, you know, where, where even uh, McGriff went up, in, you know, in percentage this mm-hmm. being his last year. So, um, you know, so that's that's interesting. That's that's I didn't think about that, but you know, obviously there's an inf- you know everything influences everything else. Well, and, and that brings us to uh, you know the uh, sort of our guy, the Cleveland a- angle on this. Uh, Omar Vizquel, uh, in his second year of eligibility, made a significant gain in in votes. He he jumped up. I believe he was at thirty seven percent of the vote last year. Uh, this year he's at forty two point eight, so almost forty three percent of the vote. Uh, he, he, that's a, a 182 total ballots he was named on in his second year. Uh, that bodes well for him for, for next year and beyond, uh, particularly looking at the, the class of guys coming up next year uh, in their first year of eligibility and the, the number of guys who are close to dropping off in the next, co- in the next few years. Uh, Omar is going to have a real chance if he maintains that same sort of growth in his voting percentage over the next couple of years. Yeah, I definitely think so. You know, Jeter, Derek Jeter's coming on the ballot next year. He's probably a first time first ballot guy. So, you know, they played the same position and I don't think that's going to hurt Omar. Maybe it'll draw more, more uh, attention to him. And, you know, like you were saying, the, the steroid guys, Bonds and, and Clemens have, uh, you know, they have three years left. So, you know, the, and so I think, you know, this is going to be a grind for Omar. I don't think he's going to make it in the next two or three years. I think he's probably going to have to go to his seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth year. Just go right down to the wire. But eventually I think he gets in, especially if he keeps this kind of momentum going. You know, I think it's, I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, he, he reminds me of the Trammell case almost. Mm-hmm. You know, Trammell, but Trammell didn't even get this kind of recognition. He never got uh, 40% of the vote until his 15th and final year on, on the BBWA ballot, and he didn't, you know, he didn't make it. So I think, you know, Omar and, and his fans, I think, are in pretty – he's well-positioned. They shouldn't be uh, chewing their fingernails down to the quick. And, and I think having Jeter being eligible next year – will also make help Omar make a case for the next few years just in that you know the reason Derek Jeter didn't win uh you know several any gold gloves in that time was Omar was winning 11 consecutive gold gloves uh when when Jeter was basically playing at the height of his game uh these are they're they're you know if Derek Jeter was the offense Omar was the defense during that time so uh you know the case could be made the case could be made they should both go in in the same year, but uh, you know, I, I don't have a vote. So <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, as what would it mean uh, for, for, could you imagine the party that he would be throwing that, that would be thrown for Omar uh, if he, you know, eventually gets elected and, and when he gets elected, when he gets that call, uh, I, there's gotta be some sort of salsa band playing somewhere. <laughs> Definitely. I think it would be, it would be great to, you know, I just remember how 
how fired up he was when he got into the Indians Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. Kind of danced in from center field and <laughs> and you know got his green his uh, Indians Hall of Fame jacket and just gave a great speech and uh, he's so full of life and uh, I I would I was thinking you know um, what if he's a big league manager when when he gets the call because that's his that's his next goal mm-hmm. and I think that would be that would really be appropriate you know if the if the two came at the same time. But I, one way or the other, I think he gets in. And, you know, I know, uh, you know, some people, you know, he doesn't grade out well with the advanced stats. But this is a guy I think you had to watch and you had to, you know, he, you had to watch him every day. And he just did stuff every day that you never saw any, any shortstop do before. And he never looked like Joey, never looked like he, 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 he a, play, a ball was hit to him that he, and it did something that he didn't expect it to do. He seemed like he'd seen every kind of ground ball that was ever hit to him, knew exactly what to do with it, didn't have the greatest arm, but had a great release, quick release, uh, and just had so much fun. And, 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 you know, I know he ends up with, you know, 2,800 hits. You know, people look at it as he played like 24, 25 years. But, you know, I don't think longevity should hurt, hurt a guy in this case. Right. No, that, that should be a, a plus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, guys with 10-plus uh, gold gloves and 2,800 hits uh, or 2,700 2, hits, uh, I think uh, Roberto Clemente and Willie Mays are, are, the, are the only other ones. And yeah. Those well, are all favorite. Well, Clemente, Clemente, his last hit was his 3,000th hit of his right. career. You know, he jumped on the plane and uh, unfortunately – Right. Been... What I'm saying is at least 2,700 yeah, hits and right, 10 gold right. gloves. That, you know, those are the only three. So, you know, Omar's definitely got a case there. Uh, Omar never seemed to be late to a ground ball. You know, yeah. he always – if anything, he was early. And I remember watching, you know, slow-mo replays of balls taking bad hops and just watching him make adjustments in, in, in instance where, you know, he never looked fooled on a ball, like you said. So yeah. uh, what he did – I think because we saw him so much and we saw him every day, play I, I think it's it's like other people don't realize how amazing he was defensively at shortstop and, yeah. and to me that that just blows away any other offensive argument and, and then you look if he had played you know one more uh, you know full season at his peak maybe maybe if he doesn't get slid into a shortstop and, and miss a half a year with yeah. a, a knee injury you know, I'm not saying 123 hits is, is, is he's going to get all all at once, but you know, here there, I, yeah, I he could have got three thousand, and he's yeah. and he's easily there. You yeah. know, and, uh, I just remember John Hart when he when he made the deal with Seattle, he was so excited about getting <laughs> the scale. The scale was playing winter ball in in Venezuela, and he had to go down there just to watch him. You know, because he he knew what he had. You know, mm-hmm. nobody else did, and he knew that Fiskel was kind of the missing piece to those great Indians teams in, in, in the, from 95 on. You know, he knew that they needed something to tie them together defensively. The offense was there, the, the, the bullpen was there, and, uh, the, you know, the starting pitching was a little shaky, but it was there. But he needed the guy in the middle of the diamond to bring it together, and, and Vizquel did. Well, uh, uh, that, that's great. Uh, you know, just tying it back to another piece of that uh... – that 90s Indians era, uh, Sandy Alomar, uh, this week announced by the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission 
will receive the Lifetime Achievement Award uh, at this year's Greater Cleveland Sports Awards coming up, I, I believe, next in the next couple of weeks. Uh, uh, it's the February 6th, I believe. February 6th after the Super Bowl. Um, uh, Alomar, he's only, what, 50-some years old uh, getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. But, uh, you know, this is a guy who for 30 years has been Mr. Indian since he came to the Indians in a trade from uh, San Diego. Uh, and then came in as in one rookie of the year. Cleveland has just loved Sandy Alomar Jr. Just a just a great guy, Joe. Same, he never changed. He, um, you know, he's he's he's. I just, you know, he's just he's just like you're right. You know, certain players are are, are associated with certain teams, and I think uh, you know Sandy and Kenny Lofton and that and that Carlos are always going to be linked to the Indians and and Sandy especially because he stayed he's 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 coached here he, you know he, he played 11 years here he went to six all-star games here you know I mean he, he won he was an all-star game MVP here in 97 uh you know just um you know he's he he is a part of Cleveland and and he loves it here he really does he's had chances to leave to go coach somewhere else and he hasn't you know he's 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 you know, he, he was he was in he was in the Mets bullpen coach. Uh, Manny Acta brought him back here to Cleveland, and he's been I think he's he's a, he's been a fixture here ever since. And that's just on top of his playing career. Well, and you you think about those great '90s teams that he was on with the Indians. He was really the foundation, and he was the first sort of piece in putting together the that whole puzzle. You you got your All Star catcher, and and from there. You, you build up the, the minor league system and you bring in the guys who, who came along with him. And like, like you said, uh, you know, you acquire a guy like Kenny Lofton and, and you watch how up the middle you build that team. Yeah. And it started with, it started with Sandy. Yeah. You know, the Hank Peters and John Hart made the great trade with, uh, with the Padres, you know, they send Joe Carter there and they get by and, and Alomar. And, and then you go on for, that sets the foundation for that, that franchise, for that run that, you know, that seven, eight, nine-year run they went on. You know, that you get Lofton and, you know, it was just uh, one great move after another. And you draft, you get Manny, you get Tommy, you know, you make deals with for Pena and, and, and Eddie Murray, the new ballpark opens, and away you go. So uh, Alomar's going to get this Lifetime Achievement Award. He's also involved with uh, the Velisano uh, Bicycle uh, fun, uh, fundraising thing for the, 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 I believe it's the Cleveland clinic, uh, cancer research. Uh, he, he's, he's an avid, avid cyclist, uh, something he really enjoys. Uh, so it's not just, uh, it, it, sort of, uh, an on the field award. It, it's more also, uh, involvement in the community. He's going to be the, the sixth former Indians player or executive or broadcaster or whatever to, to receive this honor. Yeah, it's really it's 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 fitting, and it was a good call. I wasn't thinking about that, but when I saw the announcement, I read your story. I I, I really felt good inside. I thought that was that was a great call by uh, the committee, whoever makes those choices to uh, to honor people. And uh, Sandy deserves it. Sandy looks better now than when he <laughs> played. I mean, he looks in better shape now from doing all the 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 cycling than than when he was catching you know a hundred hundred twenty games a year. Well, a, a major league catch for for a guy as 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 big and as tall as Sandy is. I, that that was the that was the thing that always struck me. You know, catchers are usually the the the, the stocky, shorter guys, like the mud turtles. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Sandy was just this 
big dude. That, and and to be able to throw out guys from his knees, uh, the, the the big frame that he had and the quickness that he showed. Uh, the play that I'll always remember from him was the one where he, he caught the foul ball. I, I believe it was against the Reds. I'm not sure. He caught the foul ball at, at Jacobs Field, uh, diving over the, the fence the, the, at, the, at the backstop, and he sort of right. over the fence and got his shin guard hooked on it. And it was uh, – He was it, hanging upside down. The fans right. caught him. But yeah. it was, it would be, the timing of the catch was what was amazing because that ball was coming down in the dugout, in the dugout suite. And he caught it on the way down. That was impressive. Yeah, I think it that was, was a great catch. Yeah, I think Ronnie Koontz maybe had the, the shot of that, the, 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 the UPI uh, the photographer. Uh, possible, yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's in the Hall of Fame. That was, that was a great photo. That was a great picture. All right. Well, uh, talking about one Indians great going to another uh, all-time Indians leader, uh, Cody Allen, uh, the franchise leader in saves, uh, signs a – uh, I'm pretty sure it was a one-year deal with, uh, yeah, with the one, Angels. Yeah, one year, 8.5, and uh, I think he's got some $2 million of incentives. So uh, cross another Indians free agent off the list. Uh, we've got a running tally going. Michael Brantley, Lonnie Chisenhall, Josh Donaldson, uh, all these Andrew guys. Are, Miller, Andrew Miller, <laughs> Rajah Davis. <laughs> so uh, the, the list continues to grow. Uh, we said at the beginning of the offseason, not likely that the Indians would sign anybody uh, up until last week, or not not likely they would re-sign any of their free agents up until last week. We were thinking, may, hey, maybe maybe Cody Allen comes down in price and and they make a deal where they work something out. Uh, not the case. Yeah, I, I was, you know, I thought that he was a missing piece, Joe. I thought he would have been a great setup guy uh, for a Brad Hand, or you know, or Cheeto could have used them both to flip flop him like he like he's done in the past. And, you know, this is a guy that, that, that took a pay cut. He made 10.55, about 10.5 million last year. Uh, and uh, I, I thought a one-year deal would be a great, a great, a great, you know, uh, just, you know, this was, I thought this was a guy the Indians could have gone after. And uh, I'm surprised they didn't. I guess it's, it's just a matter, it was simply a matter of money. Or maybe they don't think, uh, you know, Cody had struggled a little bit last year. So maybe, I don't know if they think he lost something, but I thought that that's just what they needed in the bullpen, a veteran guy, that a versatile guy, a guy that puts the team first, that'll pitch in any role. And you know, But, you know, a lot of things, have, strange things have happened in this postseason. As Drubal, Texas signs as Drupal Cabrera, Cabrera a couple of days ago for $3.5 million. Nick Marcakis goes back to the Braves for $4.5 million. I thought, you know, those guys had a spot with the Indians. I mean, they could have fit with the Indians. You could have played Cabrera at, at second or third, you know, and then put Kipnis out in left field. You know, they're screaming for an outfielder, Marcakis. But, you know, obviously Marcakis wanted to stay in Atlanta to take that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. But, uh, geez, I, I mean, those are deals. Those are bargains, you know. And, uh, you've, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, what, what is going on with the tribe? Are they waiting? Uh, you know, are they, are they saving all their chips to see where they're at at the trading deadline and then, then make a move? Or, or just, you know, this team needs this team has some holes to fill, and and right now they're they're playing a waiting game, and uh, I, we'll see what happens. But you know, I think you know a red flag has to go up a little bit here. And, and you didn't even mention the the biggest uh, signing it was Zach McAllister for one million dollars <laughs> to, to to Texas. Uh, no, I 
I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think they, the Indians front office keeps saying that they're not done, but they, they've definitely been in neutral for, for quite some time. Ever since the, uh, the Yonder Alonso trade, uh, they, they, there's not been much more than, you know, speculation on, on this side of things, uh, no moves coming down the pike. So, uh, it, it's simultaneously kind of, kind of scary and kind of reassuring if, if, if they, if they think they're going to go into spring training like this and, and that they're set, then, you know, uh, it's got to put a lot of pressure on that starting rotation. Yeah. They'll do, they'll, they'll, they'll make some moves, but I, I just, you know, I was thinking, you know, you look at who's left on the board free agent wise and, you know, you're thinking, you know, this guy could fit here, this guy could fit there. Uh, but, you know, the, it seems like the only way they're going to make a significant move it is with a trade. And, uh, you know, that, that would, you know, they can, you know, they can make the money work then. They don't have to add money to the payroll. And that's the, it looks like that's where they're at right now. And, uh, you know, a story came out last week about how the, the players and the agents are, are sort of upset again at the, the slow nature of, uh, of free agency this year. Uh, signings have been going slowly. The, it, particularly this, the, the market for Machado and Harper is, you know, there's been no progress over the last couple of weeks. Everything's been slow. Uh, is this, again, a, a case like it was last year? Are, are we going to see that refugee camp uh, during – yeah, <laughs> um, uh, during spring training, where where all the, uh, the all the lost the whole, boys are down in the lost free agents. Yes, yeah, <laughs> they're down. They're down in the, the tip of Florida working out, <laughs> the southern oh. tip of Florida working out. I mean, that's where Milky was last right. year, and right. Napoli. They were all down there. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I think there, there's some tensions are growing, Joe. I think uh, you know there, there's always you know that. Talk of uh, collusion is right below the surface regarding situations like this. I, I also think that the uh, the time frame on on the whole free agent signing period has changed a little bit. It's been pushed back. You know, I think there's probably room. There's probably a point where you can argue for having some kind of deadline here. You know, some kind of deadline for trades or free agents. You know, let's get it done. You know, you can. Uh, you know, you, you can set your roster a little sooner. You can sell your tickets a little faster, mm-hmm. you know, if, and uh, you can, uh, you know, you can, you just know what you have. You have a better idea of what you have, the player and the team, you know, and, uh, but, you know, right now it's definitely in the, in the owner's favor. You know, they can wait these guys out. These guys got to know they have to be in camp. They're, you know, the price goes down every day. And, and with Machado and, 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 and Harper, I think there's always going to be, like uh, big name elite players out there that are going to take their time. And I don't think, and you know, unfortunately that sometimes that sets the market and everybody's, you got to wait for those guys to go before anybody else signs. But there's, I don't think there's a, you know, a deadline would, would take that away. A deadline would, 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 you know, bring the whole thing to a, to a conclusion and Mm -hmm. just not let it be, you know, the Chinese water torture here. Right. And like you're saying, uh, having a deadline, the only, not having a deadline, the only teams that really hurts are the mid and small market teams. That, like you said, they can't go out and sell their their star players that they don't have, you know, or that right. they, they haven't signed, or that uh, even just being able to bring in 
uh, a mid-level free agent that could generate some sort of excitement for a, a Kansas City or, you know, any, any number of the, an Oakland or any one of those small market teams, it, it would help. But, you know, the, the, big, the big market teams, the Bostons and the New Yorks, they don't care about any of that. So yeah, they, there's, there's no pressure for them to, to set an arbitrary deadline that, that they could care less about. So, yeah, yeah. It's starting to get down to, uh, you know, spring training. Spring, <sighs> it's like it's spring training is what, February 12th, pitch, pitchers and catchers report to Goodyear, Arizona, and uh, that's coming fast. Once it gets to, you know, the calendar hits January 1st, Joe, it, it starts flying by, man. It's, it's, it's just like – Hoinsey, when's your report day? When when's you when do you I'm, report I'm leaving to? On February twelfth. So there you I, go. So we'll see. We'll go down there early and then come back home and then come back go down late. So we'll see how it goes. Well, we're looking forward to it uh, again. We'll uh, we'll be following uh, all the developments uh, in the next week here. Uh, starting to get our, our our ducks in a row for for spring training and our coverage as we move forward. Uh, good to talk to you again, Paul. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, Joe. Thanks, man.